Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church and Pastor Josh LaGrange. This week, Pastor Josh continues the series of sermons on pursuing a life that honors the Lord. You can join us by turning in your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 13, as Pastor Josh delivers his sermon titled, The Christian's Call to Love. John chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 34 and 35. We're, we're still in this New Year's series. Today's intending to be the last one of those. So this is a bit of a topical kind of sermon, looking at taking a doctrine, looking at a bigger overview. So we're going to go to some other places. But there's a truth here in John 13 that I want to begin with. So verses 34 and 35, here is our Lord Jesus speaking. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Please bow with me. Our holy God, Lord, we, the unworthy people, come before you. God, and are just rejoicing and so thankful, Lord, that you have called us to yourself through your son, that by his death, his resurrection, your design of this plan that you set forth before the ages began, God, that by this, we have been made right with you through your son. God, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and are Lord, just desperately crying out to you, wanting more of you, wanting to grow, wanting to see your glory, wanting to draw near and wanting to be changed. And God, we ask that as you have promised to do through your word, we ask God right now, please bring these miracles about. We want to see, we want to know, we want to draw near. So please God, accomplish these things. Father, right now, I, I pray that you give us ears to hear, receptive hearts, humble spirits, Father, that we will receive from you the word you've spoken and by it be changed. Help me to preach everything that needs to happen in this, O oh God. Please protect our service, Lord, so that we can draw near to you and see these truths. So Lord, for the glory of your name, make us into the disciples you want us to be. And this topic specifically Give us deeper understanding. And I want to also ask God, not just that we would be a people who know facts. Melt the stony hearts. Lord, where there is coldness, where there is hatred, where there is bitterness, where there might be grudges that have been held on to for years. Let's ask God that we would in this time be humbled and broken before you and be drawn to love. Teach us to love, oh God, like you love. Bless this time, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, here's the sequence of thought that we've been building for these last few weeks. I brought in the new year, looking at the truth that is the storyline of all of the cosmos, the storyline that is all the scriptures, the storyline that gives us the understanding of all of reality. All things have been created 
by God. They continue to exist through him and all things are for him. The meaning and purpose for why everything has been made, angels and you all exist for the glory of God. And this message that God calls the gospel, this message of of reality that God created a glorious world, the chief of his creation rebelled against him. You and I and every other soul on this planet, we deserve an eternity spent enduring the wrath of God. We deserve the hell that God created for those who rebelled against him, but God designed a way to bring a people to himself. He's done this through his son. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are the way that God has accomplished. God secured the way that a people can be brought to him by faith in Jesus Christ. That message, the message of the gospel is the message that gives the explanation for all of reality and all of the cosmos. You who are in Christ... If you have turned from your sins and trusted in him, you have been given a gift that uh, is beyond anything ever conceived. You've been brought to God. And this storyline is what defines reality. We follow that up then with this. Scripture goes on to say, in light of the fact that you have been saved by such a great salvation... You've been called to something so amazing. The riches of what you have in Christ are so glorious. Let's live in a way that's worthy of that. Let's set ourselves to uh, pursuing a life that honors him. Well, how do we do that? There are hundreds and hundreds of different parts and commands of what it means to live unto God. But the Bible helps us by dividing those into some categories. So we did kind of an overview of the book of Ephesians last week in which some various categories are, are shown to us of here's an area of emphasis, personal uh, holiness of character, family responsibility, sharing the gospel with others and such. These various categories to look at and we see scripture show this. One of these major categories of how we live unto God is the call to love. In fact, scripture will show that you can summarize all of what it means to live unto God by the two greatest commandments, to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And so I want to spend some time this morning considering this call that we've been given as followers of Christ to love like God loves, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so, you know, here's kind of the main idea, overview studies I believe they're helpful. That's why we're looking at them to take big subjects and look at all of them. We also need to take individual truths and think on just one thing, like patience. We need to one day look at that sermon. Everybody wants to know when that is to not show up. Take one particular topic and just really think about that one thing. But it's also helpful to to sort of look at the whole package of what, what does it mean in this call right here. So that's what we're doing this morning is the call to love as God loves. So Those could be helpful. Sometimes it can seem a little haphazard. So here's the main driving truth, the central idea. If you desire for the name of God to be glorified, if you want God to be pleased with your life, and if you want your life to be useful, then a loving lifestyle will be a key element to showing the glory of God and the power of the gospel with your life. 
Jesus says here in John 13, that love for one another is how you will show the world the authenticity of your faith. You know, more than any other work, a loving attitude and a loving lifestyle, a a life that is lived fulfilling the call, the commands uh, to love is like an explanation point showing that the gospel is real and the gospel really does produce change. When a sinful people are transformed and become a loving people, there's something winsome. There's something beautiful And we show that God is glorious and we show that the gospel is powerful. So we're going to uh, look at a bit of overview of this call to love. Let me start with some explanations on the commands to love. I I, want to point out some distinctions. So if you're taking notes, let me start with point number one here, titling it like this, nice versus love. Help us understand what love is as God calls it to us, calls us to it. There's a great deal of confusion over the subject of love. You know, when I get the opportunity to speak with youth, one of the things a lot of times I try to get to at some point is helping them understand that some of these things they have thought is romantic love is not actually that. That lust is not romantic love. Mere feelings in your heart, that's not what real love is. Love is something bigger than all of these things. Well, in a similar kinds of way, other kinds of love can be misunderstood as well. Family love, love for neighbor, Love for one another in Christ, love for the lost. I want to submit to you that our culture has oftentimes misunderstood to think that the call to love is merely a call to be nice. But there's a difference between what it means to be nice and to love. Let me see if I can illustrate. I had a conversation a while back that I bet you can relate with. You've heard some similar things like this in culture. I was having a conversation with an unbeliever. It was someone who was not a follower of Christ and another gentleman came up in our conversation. I don't think in a gossipy way, but we were talking about a man in in some troubled waters and how to help him. And in the course of this conversation, this gentleman that we were concerned for had been arrested for manufacturing drugs, had lived a life of some obvious sexual sin, known for some crudeness and some things like this. And this, this unbeliever I'm speaking with mentions about this man and says, but he's such a good guy. He's got such a good heart. Now, as a Christian, you know, rooted biblically, that sounds insane, but, but we have to understand the world kind of has a different view of what good and right and things are. So here, here's what's happening. Our culture has sort of reduced down all of what it means to be good down to, you know, really just a couple of attributes and sometimes just only one. And oftentimes that one attribute is just nice. You know, our culture doesn't use, you know, this kind of language, but us interpreting it according to the worldview of the world, according to the religion of the world, this man is righteous because he's nice. Sure, he's done 99 different kinds of evil, but so long as he's nice, likable, he's not mean to people, then that means he is good. So let me me help us think through this. And this is gonna help us in our study through Romans, especially when we come to chapter three and we're told there is none righteous, 
A lot of times people of the world read that and be like, what are you talking about? I know all kinds of good people, different definition of good. So let's, let's, let's think through this here. If, if you take the whole list of virtues, the whole package of all of the attributes of what it means to be right before God, to be righteous in his sight, how many would that be? I don't know. Let's, let's, let's say there's somewhere around 50. 50 different virtues, 50 different attributes that we must live with uh, to do this. Nice It's really just one out of those. And it's really kind of a weaker word of the more biblical word to be kind, okay? To be kind means, means something beyond nice. Nice usually just refers to don't be mean, don't yell at somebody, that kind of thing. But not only is, you know, nice not all of what it means to be righteous. It's not even all of what it means to be loving. When the Bible commands us to love our neighbor, when the Bible commands us Christians to love one another, we can sometimes have in our minds the idea, so long as I didn't yell at anybody today, then I've been loving. Don't be mean. But love means a whole lot more than this. In fact, there are times, friends, when nice is a negative. When a society becomes so nice that they stop punishing the wicked because it feels mean, they destroy themselves and bring destruction on those who deserve and need justice. A soldier who is too nice to shoot lets his enemies come in and not be nice to his people. David was not nice when he struck down Goliath, but it was righteous. It was the right thing to do before God and it delivered his people. It may not feel like a nice thing to go tell unbelievers that they are in danger of hell and they need Christ. It may not feel nice for you to have a conversation with another Christian and bring up a sin that they're struggling with in order to try to help them that can feel uneasy. But scripture shows this is the most loving thing we can do. When God disciplines us, it doesn't feel nice. But we're shown that God is doing this for our everlasting joy and this is coming out of his loving heart, his loving heart. Our culture's parents are struggling with correction and discipline because it doesn't feel nice to discipline children. I don't want to hurt their feelings. And yet Proverbs says, you hate your child if you will not discipline them because you are not doing what is best for them. You are letting them walk to hell. Friends, there is a time when the most godly and loving thing you could do is knock someone's teeth out. Nice is at times a negative. Being too nice is often not nice at all. It's quite unloving. My point in all this is not to give some justification for that part in our hearts that sort of enjoys this to be like, this is the message I've been waiting for. Call to be sour or to not work hard at kindness. I, I hope that throughout this, I, I, we from scripture see a call to give more effort to kindness than we have ever given before. But I do want us to see there's a distinction there's a distinction between nice and love. In fact, nice is just too weak of a word. It's too weak to what we're called to. We're called to something greater. 
Nice is too sissy of a word to describe what God has done in Christ, in Jesus setting his face like flint with desire to go to the cross, to be stricken and to bleed for our sins. Nice is just too weak for that. And nice is too weak for what we have been called to in Christ. Nice doesn't lead you to a tribe of headhunters to bring the gospel but love for God and love for the lost does. Song of Solomon says, love is as strong as death. We are called to work for the greatest good of those we are expressing love to. Love oftentimes means doing things that sting, but that are good. Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Love means that in our care for one another, in our commitment, our devotion to one another, we choose to do what is best for them. And now, most of the time, that means kindness is a must. Let us not leave here today thinking of a justification not to give effort in kindness. Most of the time, kindness is the quickest and easiest way to express a loving attitude. But there are times when kindness means doing what is hard. We are called by our God to love, and that means deed, action, sacrifice, inconvenience, and doing what is good for one another. So now let's move to the second part here. I want to walk through various aspects of this call to love. So point number two, the Christian's call to love. Let me start by asking this question. Why are we to be loving people? The answer is the same reason why we are told to be holy, why we are told to be merciful. The reason why? God is holy. God is loving. God is merciful. This is his character. This is what is the right character. And we as his people are called to be like him. We are called to imitate his character. First John 4, 16, God is love. Now let me, let me put a parenthesis there because our culture needs it badly. If you ever encounter someone inconsistently trying to use that verse to undo other parts of the Bible, you know, because a lot of times people use that, that verse to say, well, hell can't exist because God is love. You see, in their minds, they're thinking God has to be nice according to my definition of nice. That's not the way this works. The same scriptures, the word of God that gives you that sentence that God is love, the same word of God also says God is just. God is holy. God executes vengeance on the wicked. But what we see scriptures show is that the character of God is a character that is filled with a loving and compassionate heart. Throughout scripture, we see scripture, we, we see it both say blatantly and also show the loving heart of God. So there are hundreds upon hundreds of verses which will specifically say things like the loving kindness of God endures forever. But there are also all of these sections that don't like say it like that, like God is love, but it shows it. It shows the merciful character of God. Like when God did not destroy the earth on day one when he could have. Like when God came to Cain before he fell into sin and God in grace extended a warning of love. 
Like when God came to Abram, the idol worshiper, and in love drew him to himself, led him into the way of forgiveness of sins and being made into a new creature. When Jesus was on this earth, there are these beautiful moments where we see Jesus look out over crowds and we're told he felt compassion for them because they were distressed. He saw them for where they really were. He saw their need. He saw that they were lost and in need of someone to bring them to Christ. Jesus would, would look on the sick and his heart would hurt for them and he would feel sympathy and heal them. Just this past week in the good news ministry in the schools where we go in there, we talked through the parable of the prodigal son and just once again was just struck with when that son is returning home to repent and the father is watching from a distance and the father runs to the son. And instead of giving him the backhand slap that he deserved, the father throws his arms around him and, and hollers to the servants, come and bring a robe and rings and let's kill the fattened calf and let's rejoice and celebrate. This son is now returned. And Jesus says, this is the character of our father. Our father rejoices over those who come to him. What do we see in that? We see the heart of God. He's not a scowling taskmaster. He is the king of the universe. And he is the king who is going to lay down wrath on all who spit in his face. But he is also the king who cries out over the battlefield of rebels. If you lay your weapons down and come to me, I will make you sons and daughters. You've never seen a king like this. This is the character of God. It is a character that is filled with love and mercy and grace. We see in scripture both his kindness and strictness. You know, last week really emphasized his strictness. So hopefully this is a, a helpful compliment there. But scripture will show the loving nature of God to all of those who come to him, but also his severity to all who resist him. This is his character. And he calls us to imitate his love. And in John 13 here, Jesus says that love for one another would be the identifier that showed the authenticity of a Christian more than any other thing. And, and, and I want you to think about why. The world will not see the power of the gospel. So, so here's what we say, because the scripture says this. The gospel says that in Christ, we are forgiven of our sins, but not only forgiven, we're made into new creatures. The gospel says that in Christ, we are made like God. We are being transformed. We are convinced that is true, but the world is not convinced. How will we show them? Well, if we are transformed in a way that is like the character of God. L listen, if grumpy people are made into pleasant people, if impatient parents grow in their faith to become loving and merciful, if selfish and indifferent people in Christ, if we're transformed into people who have sympathy and compassion and love, then we will show there's something to the gospel. It really does bring change. There's power. It transforms. We show the authenticity of our faith by love more than anything else. 
The world is not going to see the power of the gospel by your church attendance. You're commanded to church attendance. Church attendance is good. Church attendance is something I hope that you delight in and will result in your joy. But you won't prove that Jesus is awesome by it. We're commanded to study the word and grow in knowledge and this will lead to your joy and your sanctification and you're commanded in it and God will be pleased in all these things. But you won't show that the gospel is powerful by the theology that you know. But we will show, we will show the power of the gospel by life transformation. And I think scripture shows that every way that we grow, that we're showing something but love. Love is so compelling. This character, which is at the, the chief of the virtues, is so beautiful that there is a way, you know, it's magnetic. Joyful love is infectious. It draws you in, makes you want to be like it. And real love is unusual. You know, in a world that is filled with hatred, indifference, and then fake nice because that's that's really what all of the I'm too nice to do anything hard kind of stuff is it's fake nice in a world filled with fake nice real love is unusual and it's compelling I, I would suggest that you could have five areas of your Christian life really struggling but if you are a deeply loving person and live a lifestyle of love you will still help the world see the power of the gospel don't take that as a license you don't want to do that but I'd also say that you could be doing pretty great in 19 other areas of your life, like you're doing your Bible reading and your church attendance and you're, you're beating some sins in private. And all of that is honoring to God. He is pleased by that. But if you are known as an unloving, cold person, the world will not see the gospel as beautiful through your life. The world will see the beauty of the gospel through a lifestyle of love. They will, think of, they will think of the gospel as just more empty religion if it leaves us cold. Love is the thing that shows there's something to the gospel. So in the call for the Christian to love, you know, we're shown various categories various ways that we are to go about doing it. Let me divide this into a couple parts. Let me start with four parts of who we are called to love. Number one, we're told to love one another. Here in John 13, we're given this instruction and it is repeated 21 times in the New Testament, the call to love one another. But sometimes there's a little confusion here. When scripture calls us Christians to love one another, this is specifically a reference to Christian loving Christian. And most specifically in our church family. That's the one another. We in Christ, we've been made into a community. We've been made into a household. We have been made into a, a family of children adopted by the same father. This creates a new people. And we have a, all right, so here's, here's a theological term that some use to kind of help us understand some of these kinds of things. We have a proximity of responsibility. You know, we have a responsibility to every hungry person on the planet, okay? We need to know that as Christians. There's a way we have responsibility to meet needs, but you have a greater responsibility to the hungry person on your street because of proximity, 
okay? So scripture shows that there are these, these greater responsibilities, greater calls that we have for some rather than others. We can never use that kind of thing as excuse. Sometimes people try that stuff. Let's fix every problem in all of America before we ever think about going out. No, 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 that is disobeying the scriptures. But if you have a next door neighbor who is hungry, the number one person on the list who is to go feed them, that's you, Christian. There are some we have a greater proximity of responsibility to. Scripture shows that to the members of your own household, you have, a, you, have a high, you have the high priority of responsibility to them. Well, taking that truth, we have a call within the family of God. We have a greater proximity of responsibility towards one another in the body of Christ. It listens, listen to Romans 12, 1, 12 10 says this, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. That call there, give preference to one another in the same way that you are to love others, but there are some within your own household that you have a greater responsibility towards. We are to have a love for all of those around us, even to the strangers on the street. But scripture does say we have a greater responsibility and proximity here within the family of God. God has made something unique and special here. The community within the church, we are to be a model for what, what the world should look like. The family care that exists within the body is to be so compelling, the world is baffled by it. You know, the world is not baffled by smiling at someone. The world may not even be baffled by bringing cookies to someone after they have had um, some distress of some way. But the world does get baffled when a church family brings meals for two and three weeks after someone has surgery. The world is baffled by a community where when a family falls on hard times, they move in with another household. Mark Dever once told the story, of a group of uh, college-aged men in their congregation uh, going to a nursing home to visit uh, one of the elderly ladies who was there, was a part of their church family. And this was such a, a weird thing that when those Christian men left, the rest of the nursing home residents were all wondering, was this woman some kind of celebrity? Was she in some movie we don't know about? Because why would young men want to come visit a woman in the nursing home? The world doesn't do that, but it happens in the church. It happens because the transformation of the gospel brings about a new way of seeing, a new way of looking at the world, new attitudes, new motives. The, the gospel brings about a transformation where I move from obsession over myself into the consideration of others. God wants the community within the church to be so godlike, so compelling that it makes the world puzzled. And friends, you and I need to know that God has done this again and again in history. Even in the first two centuries of the church's life, the way of Christ was disdained, but we have some of those writings uh, that have been discovered from those eras. And one of the things that the world around the church would comment on is see how they love one another. The world did find it beautiful. We want to live in such a way that the world sees the love of God existing in us, that there is something supernatural that is happening here. To do that, we're gonna have to 
move beyond the world's definition of nice, like not just be mean to each other, but to move into sacrificial love for one another. And by the way, on, the, on that note here, in John 13, you know, where we still are here, when Jesus says a new commandment I give to you, what is it that makes it new? Because the command to love one another, it's in the Old Testament. In fact, it's in the book of Leviticus, a book that a lot of times people associate with like hard, cold rules. It's in the Old Testament. So what makes it new? What makes it new is this part that Jesus has added. Love one another as I have loved you. Friends, that's new. We need to ask, does my love for other Christians, for my church family, look like just nice? Or does it look like God's, does it look like Jesus dying for the everlasting good of his bride? A sacrificial kind of love is what we are called to. Well, the second in this category, we're told to love our neighbor. Matthew 22, love your neighbor as yourself. And even those last two words, that needs its own book. There's some more meditation fodder for you this week. But maybe one of the clearest places that Jesus ever taught on this principle right here is in the parable of the Good Samaritan. In that passage, Jesus taught this principle. Your neighbor is anyone you come into contact with. You're standing in line at the grocery store. You have just become neighbors with everyone else who is in line with you. And also the cash register clerk who is working there. Something I have to keep in my own mind when I'm driving down the road. Those fellow drivers have just become my neighbors, even the ones who have forgotten to use their turn signal. We are to show kindness to the stranger. By, by the way, a couple weeks back, we had a, we had a man stop in here hitchhiking through, uh, through the state. He wanted me, asked me to tell you all thank you because he said he was made to feel extremely welcomed and express love. Good job. Don't get a big head, but good job. You know, businesses should want to work with Christians. Corporations should want to hire Christians, not only for love, greater, greater quality and excellence and integrity and things like this, but love is compelling. Teachers should be excited about having Christian students. Students should be excited about getting to have the Christian teacher. Waiters and waitresses should look forward to the Sunday lunch shift. Now, let me pause on that one there. I, I don't intend this to be a scold in any way to anybody here because I don't believe it. I really hope it does not happen here. But I, I do want you to know this kind of in the greater, the, greater, the greater reality here. Waiters and waitresses, when they see their schedule and they see that they have the Sunday lunch shift, I'm told that there's a collective... that comes over them because on that shift they will deal with self-righteous snarky customers leaving rude comments on their ticket with a stingy tip and to quote James my brothers these things ought not be friends how, how wonderful would it be if restaurants in this town looked forward to true vine letting out Now, I'd rather see the day that the restaurants closed down on Sundays because all of them were coming to faith in Christ. But until that day, let's let's be a people that businesses look forward to us walking into. Let's be employees that bosses delight in. 
Let's be managers and employers that, that, that companies love to hire and employees love to work for because of the compelling and winsome nature of our character. This is what it means to be salt and light. To be salt and light means to, to image forth a beautiful kind of character that is magnetic and compelling. And there are lots of different parts of that, but love and kindness would be at the top of that list. We are to love our neighbor as ourself. We are to be a people so oozing kindness and the joyful gratitude of what it means to be a Christian that we're, we're striking to the world. Number three, we're told to love our enemies. In Matthew chapter five, um, part of the Sermon on the Mount, it says this, you can jot it down, Matthew 5, 43 to 47. I'll read part of it. Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He goes on to say, if the only people you are nice to or kind to are the people who are kind to you back, what kind of reward are you going to have? Even unbelievers do this. God calls us to more. God calls us to something harder. Loving your enemies probably will not mean you ever become friends, close friends, but it does mean a decision to forgive, a decision to remove roots of bitterness. It means we choose to treat them with respect, dignity, courtesy. It means choosing, I want good for them. It means choosing to pray for them and asking God legitimately, bless them, work good for them in their lives. Friends, when we come to a point where in our hearts we legitimately want good for our enemies, that is loving them. You may not be taking walks in the park holding hands together, but there is a way to desire God's blessing on them. There will oftentimes come the day that your enemy needs help. And scripture forbids us from delighting in the harm of our enemies and to extending a hand to help and with a humble spirit. Number four, we are to love the world as God loves the world. There is a way in which we are to care for those who are far away. And that will look differently. You know, there's a reason why there's such an emphasis on the love your neighbor as yourself. You come into contact with them, you have an opportunity. But there is a way in which God has a love for the world and there's a way in which we are called to have a care and compassion for the world as well. Let's see if I can illustrate it like this. It begins with care and compassion. Today in Thailand, Children will be sold and will become sex slaves. We hear about that somewhere in the world. It's so far away from us. It's not, it's not on our doorstep. There's, there's no way today that we'll interact in some way to like save or bring change right, right there. It, but it exists in the world. So what is, what is the response of love? It begins with care and compassion it begins with sympathy in a heart that breaks over these things. And as we're going to see when we come to the section on how we love, it has to cross a line to move into action. 
in one's, as a starting point, a love for this pauses for a moment to, to pray for the deliverance, but then it moves into perhaps actions of giving to charities that then address these kinds of atrocities. And love oftentimes moves Christians to then go. They're not your neighbor now, but in Christ you decide, I'm gonna go make them my neighbor. I'm going, I'm going to go and do what love shows. But, but what we cannot do is try to retreat ourselves into a comfortable kind of living and think things like, I don't want to know about these things. Just let me, uh, just, just let me pretend the world is Disneyland. That's not love. It's one of the things scripture will, will mention is remembering those who are in prison remembering those who are in difficulty, a way of sympathy, care, and compassion, praying, and various levels of action. Well, let me move to the last part here, how we love. And let me just mention two parts to this. Number one, we are to love in deed and in truth. If you want to open up to another passage with me, jump to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. First John 3, find verse 16. We'll read a little section here. Being in verse 16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Do you, do you see how so often the gospel is given not only as the motivation, but also the model? Verse 17, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. What this means is being nice is just about words or a smile usually, but showing love means going beyond words. Now don't misunderstand. There is a time when love can be expressed in words and other places in the Bible will show this. But we have to see that love means more than words. When it comes to someone in need of food, to simply use words to say, I'm so sorry, I hurt for you, I hope it gets better, I'm going to pray for you. All that might sound spiritual, but at the end of the day, love gives food. Love does action. There are many times where it is appropriate to express love through words, but if we leave it in that realm, we have misunderstood what love is. Love is doing what is best, even when that means a sting. And that, that's why parents, God says failing to discipline children is, is a form of hatred. A parent may tell their child 40 times a day, I love you, I love you, I love you. That child might feel very loved. In fact, the child might feel worshipped, but still what is best for the child has not been done. Love means doing what is best for them. And there are so many ways to do it. It takes reading the whole Bible to see them all. And after we've read through the whole Bible, looking for all the ways to love, we've still missed 60 of them. So we go back and read it again. Love means showing patience when some have some parts of them that are frustrating. Love means offering encouragement. Love means you're busy. You're really busy and don't have time. But I see someone hurting. And so we pause, we show concern, and we listen, 
really listen, not just looking for the outlet of, oh, I'm sure it'll get better in running out the door. Love means rejoicing. When, when others have good come into their lives, even when that good is something we've really wanted for ourselves and thus far God's not let us have it. Love means grieving with those who grieve. Love means sitting on the couch with that wife who is, who is weeping over her husband's unfaithfulness. And the world may say some cursory little, I'm sorry, but real love sits down. Real love takes the afternoon, even though you got all those things at home. And love means that the floors don't get swept, the dishes don't get done, and your family eats fast food that evening. Love sits down. Love means giving up that glamorous vacation we've been dreaming about and settling for less because we know of believers in hard places and we send them funds. Love sees suffering and relieves it. Love sees some suffering we can't change and sympathizes. Love visits. Love brushes off some accidentally spoken offensive statements. And love chooses not to hold a grudge when they meant what they said. Love means some really simple things, like 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is not rude. Why is it rude to belch in public? Because ain't nobody want to hear that. And love considers others before myself. Love does hospitality. And at the end of the night, your house is a wreck. And your nice stuff got broken. And love counts it joy. And cleans up in service to those who have just come. Love is willing to say hard things. Love sees the immigrant and considers what life is like for them. Love sees a culture treat some like trash and, and feeling the sympathy for them and choosing to speak with them like an equal human. Love invites the classmate with no friends to come sit at the lunch table. Love means caring for your aged parents and not just saying, I don't want to deal with this. Love is doing a lot of inconvenient things. And the more inconvenient, the more the sacrifice, the greater the love is shown, and the greater the smile of your God from whom all love flows. And then here's this last part. If love is doing what is best for others, then the gospel is the height of love. In Romans 10, Paul says, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. Friends, in the way that God expresses love to the world, he has in more ways than you could spend your lifetime counting displayed love to this world. Every breath of air we draw is an expression of the kindness and love of God. You're not going to appreciate this life until we see this. Every day that sun rises and life continues is an expression of the love and kindness of God to a people who do not deserve it. But if that is love, then what God has done in Christ, there is just nothing that even comes close in comparison to the love that has been expressed in this. God sent 
his son. Jesus gave of himself. Greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus has given of himself for us. And we who are in Christ understand there is no greater thing I could give, no greater deed I could work than to give the message of eternal life, than to give the message of the gospel. We parents, we feel such a desire for our children to give what is the absolute greatest to them. There is nothing in comparison to a life spent showing them the gospel, leading them on to Christ. There is no greater gift we can give to the world than the message of the gospel. This is part of the root of Jesus sending us out to the nations. And if you are here, you're hearing me right now, and you've not yet trusted in Christ, in love, I want to say something to you that will sting. You're going to hell. And you deserve it. I was once going to hell and so was every other person in this room. We've rebelled against the living God. You are not right. You are not clean. You are unfit. But in love, God calls to you. And he invites you into his kingdom. He invites you to come and be made a son or daughter through Christ. But you have to understand you will not be okay simply by carrying on as, though, as you always have. You must come to Christ. Turn in your heart away from trusting yourself and trust in Christ. You cry out to him and you will be a recipient of the everlasting love of God that you will know throughout eternity in his son. Let me close this in prayer. Lord, um, we say thank you for your love to us and we ask that we will now grow in love. Um, I ask all the truth we've looked at, every part of the God will be a seed that comes down inside of our hearts and then does bear fruit. I pray, God, there'll be no part of this, of all, all the truths, all the commands that we've looked at that we choose to ignore. Please do not let us ignore one truth. Please, God, even beginning today, help us to put into practice the work that will, that will be involved in transforming our lives to imitate you in this. Make us into a loving people. Please, God, I pray as a church family, give us greater love for one another and give us that compassion that feels and desires for others outside of this room to know you. Give us greater love for our neighbor. Help us, oh God, even in our minds right now, I pray, address an enemy we've not yet loved. And Father, give us greater love for the world as you do. Give us help and blessing as we leave, oh God. We pray these things through Christ. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed Pastor Josh LaGrange's sermon titled, The Christian's Call to Love. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter at TrueVineIND, or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.